When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everyone, to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We're going to have Lance Reisland coming up in the second half of the podcast. He's going to look back on some things that stood out to him from Sunday, including that 66-yard touchdown pass to Corey Davis. So that'll be coming up after the break. Before we do that, though, a whole lot of news today out of Berea for a Tuesday. The only day that the Browns are practicing this week, the only day that we were in Berea, and we've got to start with something that happened Sunday, Mary Kay, not in Berea, and that is Jimmy Haslam as he was walking off the field after Garrett Wilson caught his touchdown pass. Uh, NFL Network reporter Tom Pelissero captured video of it. Um, he was hit by a bottle that came out of the stands. It looked like it hit him kind of on the right side, maybe the hand hip somewhere around there. It's like the Zapruder film trying to figure this all out. But a bottle hit him. He pointed up to the stands. Uh, a an arrest has been made. Apparently Um, charges have been filed. Mary Kay, I mean, this whole situation just so bizarre and look, fans were obviously frustrated. They were booing. That's one thing, but this obviously a situation that, that went a little too far. Yeah, it definitely went a little too far. Booing is one thing, throwing a bottle at someone. I mean, now the person who has been arrested, he's got uh, three you know, I think three charges that he's potentially going to be facing. He's probably going to be banned for life from First Energy Stadium. And fortunately, no one got hurt. That's that's the key thing here. You know, I mean, it was a plastic bottle, but you can still get hurt by a flying object. And it can also sometimes inspire other people uh, to do the same thing. I mean, I was there for Bottlegate back in the day and things can get out of hand. So, uh, you know, really, really unfortunate. You know, we understand that that fans get frustrated. And again, booing is one thing, but this type of behavior is absolutely unacceptable. And and this uh, so-called fan uh, is now going to pay the heavy price for it. Yeah, and actually, I mean, Mary Kay made a, a point there that she, it's a good thing no one got hurt, not just Jimmy, but like, you know, if, if you watch the video, there's photographers over there, there's videographers, there's there's people on the sideline, especially at that point in the game that, that have kind of milled out of the tunnel um, that maybe normally wouldn't be out there. So just, you know, just a bad situation all around. Yeah, and like Mary Kay said, being in Cleveland, obviously, I think one of the first things that you think of when you see something like this is Bottlegate. And it's just like the prime example of how things like that can spiral because you have one person throwing something. So, you know, 
a few thousand other people decide, yeah, I'm going to jump on that train because I'm unhappy with the the call that's on the field or or whatever or or the you know status of the play or or anything like that. It's just a really slippery slope. So we kind of talked about this, like it's there's really a you know path they're going to follow. It seems like that they are following with this. The Browns are cooperating with the authorities. There was a arrest report out there, things like that. Um, or he hasn't been charged yet, right, Dan? If I'm remembering that correctly, but um, there is a police report. Yeah, there are, but today. there are three charges that, yeah. that he could face. Yeah, but it's you know, it's you have to go down this path because you have to discourage it from happening in the future, and anyone else from thinking it's it's okay behavior because it's not. And and I think the good thing here is, you know, we're I think we're preaching to the choir, and in, in this situation, this is one of those moments where sometimes you're on Twitter and like somebody does something stupid, and everybody is like chiming in that hey you can't do that i feel like probably 90 percent of browns fans probably more feel the same way so I, so i think that's a good thing um in, in this situation and uh unfortunately for that fan he will not be at first energy stadium ever again most likely so uh th- those consequences will be coming soon so let's move on to on-field things and mary Kay. The story that will not die, in part because we didn't hear from all the key members of it, but we did hear from the last person I think we needed to hear from today, and that's Nick Chubb. Uh, the touchdown that he should not have scored. I think we can. I think we can officially call it that. Pretty much everyone has come to the conclusion that no, Nick Chubb should not have scored. And I'm talking about when I say everyone, I mean the people involved in the play. Uh, and Nick Chubb today told us that. Yeah, I was very, very surprised that Nick Chubb blamed himself for scoring there, Uh, says that, you know, he's been through this before, that he should know better, uh, that he should have gone down in that situation. Um, I also think he could have gone out of bounds at the one, uh, but he's stating it as though he should have gone down there. Uh, And of course, had he done that, then Jacoby just needs to take a knee three times and the game is over. Uh, I still think that that should have been on Uh, the coaching staff to tell him not to score there. That's got to be articulated running backs. You know, they have the ball in their hand and they're going to run with it as hard as they possibly can. In fact, Nick Chubb ran for 50 yards in the fourth quarter, 50 of his 87 yards in the fourth quarter. Um, And, um, and Kareem Hunt ran for 48 of his 58 yards in the fourth quarter. So those guys were just like, trying to take over that game and win it for the Browns. That's why it's so unfortunate that actually both of them were involved in plays that could have resulted in the game ending right there uh, in those waning moments of the game. But I don't think Nick should be taking the heat for this. I, I thought it was noble of him to stand up there and hold himself responsible and accountable, but I don't think you can expect a running back uh, to try to be thinking about clock management at the end of a game. Yeah, we were talking before we we came on, like the inbounds, out of bounds stuff, you know, staying in bounds. That's like instinctive for a running back. Like, the, you know, that's something you're learning probably even before high school if you're playing the position. But, you know, keeping yourself from scoring a touchdown is really difficult. And I remember Nick even admitted that after the no Moss game uh, against Houston back in 2020, he even admitted it was really hard to step out of bounds at the one and not score that touchdown. Uh, so that has to come from the coaching staff just over and over saying, hey, we can't score here, we can't score here, don't do this. Ashley, I think the one thing that's kind of annoyed me the most about this, though, is it's kind of become this either-or. Like, if you think Nick Chubb was 
wrong for scoring or, you know, like I said, coaching staff, whatever. If you think he shouldn't have scored, you're like absolving the defense of this. And I don't think anyone's doing that. Like Nick Chubb no. scored. That's the fact. But the reality is the defense has to pick him up and not give up 14 points in a minute 20. Right. And both things can be true. This is not a black and white either or answer. Like, obviously, the defense should not give up two touchdowns that quickly at the end of a game. But at the same time, we were talking about this earlier today. And I think, you know, at the time Chubb scores that, it's like a 99.9% probability to win. That's pretty good 99.9% of the time, right? But it's that 99.9 versus 100% chance you win. And I agree with Mary Kay. I mean, I, I think it's admirable that Nick Chubb stood up there and took the blame for something that I don't think is his fault. Um, and under normal circumstances, we would think it was just the, the cherry on the, on top of the cake for uh, a win, but because of the way things transpired, it's like, I still think, and Kevin Stefanski did blame himself. And I think that's where it falls because again, the no mask game, they have a call for this. Like we know it. And I said to you before, Dan, I think knowing they've done this before makes it all look worse to me because this is a coaching staff that shows that they can have that situational awareness. So I just don't know where it was on Sunday. Right. And and the other part of it too, Mary Kay is like, that's really fixable. Like you messed that up and that's really fixable. The defense discussion is a whole different discussion because like, that's a real problem. You know, like Nick Chubb knows now he's going to remember next time. Oh, I better go out of bounds. And Kevin's going to remember next time. Oh, I better remind Nick that he's got to not score here. This defense has real issues that it needs to fix. That's more than just, you know, a teaching tape on Friday. It, I mean, these are real deep seated communication issues they have to fix. Yeah. And you know what, here's what we don't know yet about the secondary. I think that they have a ton of talent and I think uh, that they're going to go to the distance this year and, and have the ability to be one of the best secondaries in the NFL, but you can't tell that right now because of the communication issues. If you're not in the right coverage and you're not doing the right thing, then guys are going to run right past you. And we've seen this happen now in two different games. So I think, I do think it's correctable and fixable. And the way that they are saying that they are going to fix it is to make sure that they use hand signals and they know what coverage that they're in once they see the formation. And in the event that the formation changes late, they're going to work really hard to make sure that everybody gets the new coverage, whatever it is. So that's what they have to do. And right now it seems to me that 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 is correctable and that once they get that straightened out, that they still have a lot of talent there in the back end. I mean, Denzel, lockdown corner, you know, Greg Newsome, you know, I thought he was off to a really good start last year. Grant Delpit, I expected him to take a step up. Uh, you know, they've got the, a good new young cornerback in, in Martin Emerson. So, um, you know, I still think they have a really, really good defensive backfield, uh, but we just haven't, we haven't seen it yet because of the screw-ups. Yeah. And Ashley, I, you know, I was thinking about this, the, the back end has to be better just because of the resources they put into it. You know, Denzel is one of the highest paid players in, in the, at his position. Um, John Johnson got a big payday. I don't know where he ranks at this point, but he got paid a lot of money. Greg Newsom was the number 26 overall pick. Grant Delpit was a high second round pick. Those are real resources 
put into that secondary. They you just can't be looking back at games multiple weeks in a row and saying the secondary is not getting it done. Yeah, and we've talked about it so many times. This is clearly a an organization that values defensive backs. So like you're saying, they're willing to put in that money, right? We talked about it. Kevin Stefanski was a defensive back when he played. Andrew Barry was a defensive back back when both of them played uh, in college. And you see it in terms of the trades they make and who they extend, when they extend them, who they draft. Like we didn't, I don't think anybody expected them to draft a corner with their first pick, even after they traded down this year. Now it made more sense when they traded Troy Hill like the next day, but they've invested a lot to, to try to make this, you know, defensive backs and those two rooms be on the same level as this defensive front led by Miles Garrett that they have. And, you know, we saw them up the linebackers last year by drafting JOK, by bringing Anthony Walker Jr. in. I, I still think the pieces are there, but yeah, it's like for what you're paying these guys, they have to do a lot better job. And it's, it's just like evident that that's where all the communication breakdown is happening right now. And Joe Woods is a secondary guy. That That's really where, yeah, he, that where he's made his way to coming up. Um, this was sort of an accountability day in Berea on Tuesday. Mary Kay, Amari Cooper talked about the onside kick and, and Jeremiah Wusukoromoa took um, took a little blame for something as well. Now, I didn't hear JOK talk. Uh, I did hear Amari Cooper talk about the onside kick, but both of them kind of stood up and said, hey, you know, this specific situation was on me. Yeah, and I, I think that was good because what can happen in a time like this when you're blowing coverages and blowing a game like that, uh, a team runs the risk of turning on each other and pointing fingers and things like that. And you can't do that. You have to stick together at a time like this. And so I thought it was good that they had an accountability day. I thought it was good that even though I think Nick took too much blame for that touchdown, uh, the fact that he stood there and did it, I thought that was a stand-up move. Amari Cooper, uh, he's, he stood up there and, and he said, you know, I should have recovered the onside kick or batted it out of bounds or whatever else he could have done. Um, Last week, he told me that um, that he made an error on the spike at the end of the game, and that could have been costly. That could have cost them the game, but he owned it. And I asked him today, why, why, are you, why are you owning that? And he said, you know, it's the truth. I asked Nick, why do you think that's important? And he said, because, you know, everybody has a, a hand in this and we've got to, you know, we've got to be accountable for what we do. And, you know, and then you learn from it and you move on. And I think that is important. And same thing with JOK. He did not elaborate. Um, Ashley asked him the question. He just, you know, gave one word, but it was, it, it still was a, it was my fault type of thing. And, and I think that um, it sends a good message to other guys on the team that nobody's passing the buck here and people are taking responsibility for their actions. And, and just, just I, I checked here. JOK was talking about the Brees Hall touchdown at the end of the first half um, yeah. that tied the game at, at 14. I wanted to make sure I, I got that right. And Amari Cooper and that was, was – go ahead. That, that I was going to say that play, like the reason I asked about it, We've it was one of the more notable defensive breakdowns that I think became overshadowed by the 66-yard play at the end. But that was the play that they only had a three-man front and dropped eight guys back into coverage and let a running back catch a – touchdown for some reason so you saw it in real time and I you know it was more noticeable when I watched back JOK Grant Delpit and Denzel Ward are all over there and Grant and Denzel both kind of turn and look at him so like Mary Kay said didn't elaborate on the specifics of the assignment but owned up to it anyway so does this 
all of this accountability, Mary Kay, kind of lend itself to uh, this is such a weird way to kind of the healing process <laughs> as they <laughs> as they go come off of this devastating loss on Sunday. Yes, I think so because we saw um, that um, some of the secondary uh, they were having some issues with you know, trying to sort through who gave up the 66 yard touchdown pass. And we saw that Denzel uh, came out on the zoom yesterday and said, it wasn't my coverage. It was not my coverage. And then Grant Delpit, we also had him on the zoom and and I, I said, okay, Denzel says it wasn't his coverage, which which makes it seem like it might've been then your coverage. And he said, I'm not going to play the teammate. I'm not going to play the blame game with my teammates. So I think there was, you know, maybe just a little bit of a disconnect there in how they want to message these kinds of things, right? I think and I even asked Grant, you know, would you appreciate it if sort of everybody would leave it a little bit more nebulous like that, unless the person who knows it was his fault is willing to step up and say, it was my fault, like we heard people say today. If nobody wants to do that, then I do think that it's better that nobody lets the cat out of the bag about who might have done the wrong thing. So I think that got a little messed up yesterday. And today, I think there was a, a strong effort. And it was probably a stated thing, I would guess, to be responsible and accountable. Yeah, it is notable that they were in the building this morning, obviously, for a while before we got in there. And, and the Monday after a game is a little bit, you know, guys are getting treatment and rehab and they were in the building a little, I don't know their exact Monday schedule yesterday, but they were actually in the building a little later in the day. And I got the impression from Kevin, they hadn't had like a full team meeting yet when we were talking to guys um, earlier in the day on Monday. Speaking of accountability, Ashley, we heard from Perry on Winfrey as well. He was a healthy scratch on Sunday for disciplinary reasons. I don't know that he completely owned whatever he did, but um, I, I guess it, I guess it sort of sounded like he got the message. Sort of, yeah. I mean, it could have it could have been a worse press conference. Let's say <laughs> let's say it that way. Um, I think the maybe the slight disconnect that we were getting when we talked after the fact was, does he not think this punishment was fair based on like the way he, he answered some questions? And it's like, oh, if you if you have a guy who doesn't know or doesn't agree with the punishment, um, does that make him more liable to repeat whatever he did? Um, he declined to really to say what he did. He said because Kevin Stefanski didn't say, you know, when he talked to us a couple of days ago about this, that Perion didn't want to to talk about it either, wanted to keep it in house and. He kind of talked about how I think where the the positives from his press conference, he framed it as this is part of the journey he is on as a rookie and learning how to be a pro. And, you know, he's trying to do that. And this is one step towards that. And um, that, you know, he thinks and I asked him about the fact that he didn't play a ton of defensive snaps against Carolina, but he was you know kind of productive in that game. He had one of the batted passes. Um, he's confident that he can build on that despite missing this past week so um some good some I don't know how he feels about the punishment coming out of that but but overall you know ready to just I think move on from last week yeah and then Mary Kay I do I mean he he was thoughtful he answered the questions he was asked I was impressed that he talked to us yeah Um, some guys wouldn't yeah uh, but he stood there at his locker and he talked to us so you know I don't want to give the impression that it was like a bad press conference I just didn't come away feeling like he was a hundred percent like, Hey, I messed up. And and this was a wake up call. Well, once again, first of all, yes, you're right. We commend him 
for facing the music and talking to us today. There was a scrum around his locker waiting for him. And, uh, you know, and, and he turned around and he talked to us. And that's what you need to do in a situation like this. So good for him uh, for not hiding from it. So that was good. Um, but I, I did get the impression that in a perfect world, he would not have had to sit down, sit out that game, that he probably doesn't necessarily feel like the punishment fit the crime. I, you know, that's sort of the vibe that I got. But I mean, who, what young player is going to yeah. say, yeah, I should have been disciplined and I should have sat out the game. You know, I should have had to sit down and miss a football game. You know, no, nobody's probably going to necessarily really go there. But, um, but for the most part, I think he did a good job. He talked, he owned it. And uh, and then everybody can move on from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I just looked up. He just turned 22 years old in August. Yeah. So he's he's still a really young guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that can be too much of an excuse. And, and we don't know what he did. Um, but, you know, when these guys coming into the NFL, even a fourth round pick, the guy has the guy has some money now. And it's it's hard. It can be a hard adjustment. That's for sure. Uh, two more things here. Just a couple injury updates. Jadavion Clowney, we know, is out on Thursday. Um, but some more injury news that we're kind of keeping an eye on. Joel Batonio was on the bikes today. He's got a biceps injury. Now, knowing Joel, I'd be shocked if he didn't play on Thursday night. But you just never know with, with an injury, that, with a biceps injury. And Miles Garrett was not at practice today with a neck injury. And that's kind of the one that, you know, everyone's a little bit nervous about right now, Mary Kay without Clowney and without Garrett, that, that really changes the Browns approach defensively. Oh, it, it really does. I mean, it's bad enough to be without Jadavian Clowney for this defense because Jadavian takes a lot of pressure and a lot of heat off of miles Garrett. You can't just chip and double team miles, or you're going to have Jadavian Clowney in your face. So you cannot ignore him at all. He does take some attention and, um, and so, you know, that was going to be bad enough for them. It's not exactly like the Steelers being without TJ Watt, but it's not too, too far behind. I mean, Jadavian is a really good edge rusher and he sets the edge really, really well in the running game. So he, he's a very good player. And um, yeah, if they're going to be without Miles and Jadavian, it could end up being a, you know a long night because the thing that the Browns really have going for them right now is their aggressive attacking defense. And Miles is the best player on the football team. And uh, so they have to hope that he's ready. It's a short week. I mean, he he injured his neck in the game. We don't know much about it. Um, but yeah, if they don't have him for this game, uh, they're going to be really down into their depth at end. Yeah, I mean, Ashley, you start to rely on young guys like Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, Isaac Rochelle could get the call up. Uh, but it just, you kind of have to change what you're doing when you can't just rely on those two big ends to to kind of create all your pressure. Yeah, and I know the other guy who hasn't played a ton necessarily, but Chase Winovich just went on IR today too. So that's just another body this room has lost um, towards the middle of the depth chart. So like you're saying, Dan, like the, the reality is they could be relying, even if Miles does play, you're probably going to see Alex Wright play a lot more snaps than he did the first couple games. You're going to see Isaiah Thomas play more than the eight or nine snaps that he played uh, against the Jets this weekend. So it it does. And they, you know, we saw them doing some different things in terms of some, you know, packages where they were putting four edge rushers up front there and letting Miles and Jadavian be on the same side. And that kind of creates havoc for an opposing offense because it's like, 
how do you block like the two-headed monster at this point? And that's, um, they only ran it about three snaps, I think, but that is the play Jadavian got his strip sack on against the Jets. So it definitely hurts just to be without Jadavian, to be without Miles as well. It could be a really long night against an offense that hasn't even been that good. Okay, uh, there we go. Uh, getting you ready for uh, Brown Steelers. We're going to have our preview pod going up on Thursday this week, obviously with Thursday night game. We are still going to get you that weekly preview pod with our prop bets, our picks, all of that stuff, getting you ready for the Steelers on Thursday night football. Coming up on the other side of the break, Lance Reisland looks back and tells us everything he noticed uh, from that loss against the Jets on Sunday. Ashley and Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Happy to welcome on Lance Reisland for our weekly segment, looking back uh, at Sunday's game against the Jets. Lance, um, welcome to covering the Browns. That was uh, that was something uh, on Sunday. There's always surprises. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a the last minute fifty five was absolutely uh, amazing, <laughs> amazing to watch. Okay. We're going to start with the good, though, and and I'm actually glad you send me an email every week with, with kind of what you want to talk about, and I was glad you you wanted to talk about this because I don't think it's gotten quite enough attention because of everything else that has happened, but Jacoby Brissett played pretty well on Sunday, uh, especially after what we saw in week one when he had some accuracy issues. I thought he was a little, um, just seemed a little sluggish, wasn't getting the ball out quick. He looked different on Sunday. Yeah, you know, I think it comes down to, once again, I know you guys have talked a lot about the lack of practice, and he didn't really get the the reps until, you know, practice 12, I think we were at 12 or 13 when his week, when he became the uh, starter. You know, he was he, he was 22 for 27. Uh, he had two for 229 yards. He had a touchdown. He had a late pick uh, at the end there. Um, he had six rushes for 43 yards. He used his legs very well. I thought uh, he had some big first downs, uh, third down conversions for first downs that I thought were uh, big with his legs. Um, you know, I don't know if he can play any better, uh, but I think he can. I think he can reach this similar type uh, style with the, what the Browns are doing offensively for sure. So, what do you think they were doing to to allow him to be so successful? Well, it starts with Nick Chubb in the run game, the old line. You know, they run the ball, which is going to create some matchups for him. You know, uh, he got, you know, we got, he got Cooper involved, which is going to be huge for him. Uh, Cooper had nine catches, uh, which was huge, over 100 yards. But, you know, they had the screens. They threw a screen to Njoku. They had a, sc- a couple of screens to the backs. Um, they kept him in rhythm, three-step game where they get the ball out. So the pressure is not going to get there as much. Um, and, and, and again, that run game is so vital to the Browns because that's the focus of that defense uh, for most of the uh, most of the game, for sure. So, uh, you know, I had mentioned for anyone who listened to the postgame pod, I felt like there's a chance maybe the Browns got Jacoby Brissett's best game of the season on Sunday. But how do you think they can duplicate this to the level of, you know, maybe he's not you know, maybe he doesn't have quite the numbers he has. Maybe he's not quite as efficient as he was in this game, but he's at least, you know, he's moving the football. The pass game is a little bit lively. They're getting the ball to Amari Cooper, like you mentioned. Can, can this be duplicated moving forward? Well, yes, I think it can be. First of all, he's practicing. He's taking all the first team reps. Yeah. So he's getting all the reps all the time, which is huge. Uh, I, you know, I, I've always believed in reps. You win with reps. So he's getting all those reps all the time. And then what they're doing, I mean, he's not a, once again, they're not vertically passing ball down the field on uh, deep comebacks and posts and, and digs and things of that nature. So, yes, I think he can uh, play action. 
you know, he's got to hit that levels where they get those three level concepts all the time going with the uh, Browns uh, off that uh, off that run game, that outside zone and, and counter game, uh, the, the slants, the screens, all that stuff. Yes, I think it can be. And a lot of that stuff is timing and practice. And, uh, you know, they got to play good defense uh, for him to be successful. All three phases have to be good. They have to have good field position. Um, you know, being up in the game is going to help because they can always run the ball. Uh, do I think he can drop back and throw it 50 times? No, but I think he can be a complimentary piece to what they're doing on all, in all three phases. So I, I want to spend a little bit of time on Amari Cooper, who you mentioned. Um, and, and this was a game where, you know, you're watching and he's getting the football and you're wondering why he's open. And it just reminded me, like, these guys, you know, when you watch the Chiefs, right? Third down, Travis Kelsey ends up wide open. And you think to yourself, how does that happen, right? And you know these defensive coordinators are spending hours and hours and hours trying to make sure it doesn't happen, but it still does. Cooper Cup, kind of the same. How does Cooper Cup always get open? I felt that way about Amari on on Sunday. It, It was just a reminder of how good he is, that there were moments where it's like, how in the world was Amari Cooper not being covered there? But the reality is it's, it's just because Amari Cooper is so good at what he does. Yeah. You know, and they did a, you know, I think back to they had a big play where he was at three strong uh, and he caught a smash concept uh, for a big play for the Browns. I think the key is to move him around. You can never put him in one spot. He's got to be at one, two and three strong. Uh, he can run the whole route tree from inside and out again with practice reps. Jacoby Brissett knows to go where with the football, you know, knows to, where to go. So uh, the more they practice, the more he understands the coverages he's seeing, the more he's going to get the ball. And then again, I think they did a really good job of uh, schematically getting him open as well on the touchdown play. Um, you know, the motion uh, by Njoku caused uh, indecision in the backfield, which some were playing zone, some were playing man. Uh, so schematically, uh, you know, Coach Stefanski did a really, really good job of putting him in different spots. Um, and if you're going to get him the ball, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to be really creative and move him around to get him the ball. Okay, let's talk about the run game. And I thought Sunday's game was a really impressive day for the rushing offense. And I thought that because, honestly, because of how it struggled a little bit early in the game. Um, and, I, and I have the first half numbers up here. They averaged 3.7 yards per carry in the first half. Kareem Hunt had four for 10 yards. Nick Chubb had eight for 30 yards. Jacoby Brissett actually was, he helped their average three for 16. He averaged 5.3 a carry. Chubb and Hunt were both under four. And then in the second half, this was just a case of the Browns sticking with it. And, and, you know, they had that lead obviously in the, in the fourth quarter and you could tell the jets were wearing down. I was just really impressed with how they stuck with the run game and were just committed to getting it going, even when it wasn't always going well. Well, we talked about it last week, and if you're going to be committed to it, you got to be committed to it. And it's kind of, uh, you've heard the terminology used, uh, you know, body blows. And that offensive line, they wear on you. And there's some, uh, breaking down the film this week, there's some there's some plays of Teller and Batonio where they are just driving those uh, Jets defensive tackles back. And, and I think they stuck with it, like you said. And if that's going to be their identity, then they got to stick to it. And I was very impressed because the breakdown of the Ravens game, uh, and we know the Ravens run the ball. You know, the Ravens had 11 yards rushing, which is the uh, all-time low with uh, Lamar Jackson as their as their quarterback. And they only had 63 yards for the game. And that front seven is a very good front seven for the Jets. So I thought I was with you. I thought they stuck with it. Um, they wore on them. They continued to, to run with it. You know, they're being very diverse in the run game, too. The pin and pulls, the, uh, the counters, the outside, the inside zone. So they're doing lots of stuff. 
Um, and they, the bottom line is they stuck with it. And when it didn't work, they kept sticking with it because it eventually with this offensive line, it will work, I think. So what was your favorite part of the run game then Sunday? Was it that the work of those guards? You know, it's funny. I, the more I watch, you know, you heard for years when Stefanski came over from Minnesota, how they run the zone and Callahan teaches his own and, you know, getting to watch those offensive linemen every day for 20 days. They're really good, but those guards, when those, I really like when those guards get out in front and the pin and pull and those, uh, they run that counter game where they get the guards all the way out and around. So they'll, uh, they'll get some more tight ends in there and they're almost getting those guards to the edge at times. Uh, those guards getting out front, their physicality and their ability to move, that's, that is real. That's, that's my favorite part of the run game right now, that pin and pull, that counter game where those guards are getting out in front. And, you know, we see, you know, Wyatt Teller is one of those rare offensive linemen that goes viral on social media when he blocks somebody. But, you know, Joel is just such a, I mean, he's a brick wall. He'll, you know, he'll stand up in the run game, but when he gets out on the move too, if there's a defensive back or a linebacker, I mean, he'll just maul people. And I, I don't know if Joel gets enough credit. I think people know how good he is. I don't know if he gets enough credit though, for just how good he is in this scheme. Oh yeah, he's he's outstanding. And once again, his ability to move his feet in space, he's uh incredibly incredibly good at pass protection. Um he's very stout uh in terms of he gets no backward movement at all in pass protection. Again, in the zone game, he gets to the second level uh when they run in their inside outside zone. And then again, just like Teller, for me they're they're very similar. You're right, Teller gets a little bit more uh publicity in terms of those knockout blocks in space. Uh, but Betonio is doing the same thing. Betonio is moving the pile. Betonio is getting out and uh, he gets on those defensive backs and those linebackers and, and they, uh, they put on a clinic when the, so the second half, they get in the second level, they put on a clinic, those two. Okay. Well, we got to move on to the bad and uh, give us your first, your first thing here. Well, I was, I was very disappointed with the pressure, the overall pressure and, and the blown coverages again, the overall pressure, um, the Jets had Fant in at tackle. They had the Mitchell kid, young kid at tackle. And I just didn't think we had four QB pressures and two sacks. And one sack was a uh, was a blown assignment by the Jets. It was just they didn't block Miles Garrett for some reason. So really, we only had really one sack and four QB pressures or four QB uh, hits of the Browns. And that was kind of shocking to me. I thought we would really take advantage of that Um Again, in the secondary, uh, not a lot of pass breakups. They had five pass breakups, but only one, only two by the secondary guys. Uh, the others were by the linebackers. And then just the general overall comfort Joe Flacco had in the pocket uh, was kind of surprising coming off the game they had before. So the Browns, uh, I didn't think it did a really good job of creating pressure on the offensive line and, and the receivers or anybody. It just it was a very comfortable day for the Jets offense. So I, I want to throw something at you here that we saw on Sunday that I thought was interesting. And I'm, I'm just springing this on you. So if you don't have a great answer, that's okay. But I, the Browns a few times went with four edge rushers across the front. So they had Winovich, they had Garrett, they had Clowney, and they had Alex Wright on the field together. Now that was the alignment on Clowney's strip sack. I don't know that it had a lot of success. They only ha- did it a handful of times, uh, but when you can put those four edge rushers across the front, what, what do you think that does for the defense? What Woods likes to do for the Browns is he, he puts those guys in wide threes and wide fives. So they're getting wide outside the guards and they're getting wide outside those tackles. So they're creating, uh, we used to say run the hoop. So they're creating an arc to the quarterback. And 
what those do, those guys do inside is that they put tremendous pressure on those guards who don't move their feet as well as those tackles. So when you get those and they're big bodies, and that kind of goes back to what we talked about before last week, you know, a number of times on our podcast in terms of the type of body they like inside, especially with those DNs, and uh, they can, you know, go down inside. But those those DNs with their size and their ability and their athletic ability are able to put such pressure on those guards who don't move their feet as well. And then they get wide in those B gaps and wide in those C gaps, and they come around the corner. It just makes it very, very tough to block for an opposing team. All right, we're going to move on to this this third thing you sent me and i'm lance i want you to go back to your days on the sideline you got a seven point lead there's what was the 205 left or something like that you're inside the 10 yard line first down at the two are you even thinking about telling your running back to not score well i'm a little you know i am a little bit older so you know the (laughs) answer to that is no and you know i i've heard a lot of uh I heard your discussion in the podcast. I heard uh, a lot of people have messaged me in the last, you know, 48 hours in terms of what I would do and how I would do it. Um, I'm scoring a touchdown there. And for me, uh, that being said, I do think him going out of bounds is the right move. But as if you're speaking, if you want me to know as a football (laughs) coach, I am telling you that that is not even crossed my mind. It should cross my mind, uh, but it's an emotional game. And for the Browns, I think it, I think it masks, uh, it kind of hid what the real problems are. You know, you get, you get, he scores there, you go up 14 because Kate York makes it, you know, usually makes those. So you're thinking you're going to go up 14 with a minute 55. You kick the ball off and you play defense. And um, I know, once again, the, the numbers and the, the everything tells you right, but there were so many other things to me um, that were the issue with the Browns um, besides, you know, Chubb scoring a touchdown. That I think it masked a lot of the issues. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, unfortunately, afterwards, the discussion became this either or of like, well, if you think Nick Chubb shouldn't have scored and you make it a talking point, you're absolving the defense of what happened. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, because the reality is, like you said, even if it was the wrong decision, it still happened. You were still up two scores. Just go out there and play defense. It was a two. It, this wasn't even like a, a case of, you know, a coin flip in overtime. We always hear that debate. Like, well, just go play defense. This was two scores. <laughs> like, Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's exactly right. And that's exactly how I felt. And I, I read what you uh, said earlier today or yesterday, and I couldn't agree more. In the fact that, you know, for me, it was it was situational awareness by everybody. Um, and it was uh, the attention to detail by everybody that really is the thing that's alarming to me. You know, you have multiple uh, busts in the secondary in terms of, you know, I've, I've watched the 66 yard touchdown. I bet you 30, 40 times now and I have a pretty good handle on what happened. Uh, but the bottom line is keep everybody in front. You're up two scores. So if you're unsure, you keep everybody in front. And that goes back to my coaching days, play deep. Everybody should be in front. Uh, they had lack of pressure. So they didn't pressure those two tackles um, field position. So the fake punt, everybody, you know, for me, the special teams uh, coach has gotten a lot of heat. And for me, he would get heat if Cooper wasn't there on the onside kick. He had Cooper there. The guy was covered. The, the receiver was covered. The guy's got to do a better job. Uh, Cade York missed the extra point. So, obviously, coaches get all the, uh, the blame for that. I understand that. But for me, being inept and not getting the job done means you have a linebacker out there. You had Amari Cooper, who's got the best hands on our team. He was there. He could have made the play. So, it's just that attention to detail, their inability to get a stop with up 14, their um, the 66 yard touchdown pass, the the touchdown to uh, uh, Hall in the first half in terms of being in his own coverage, being in dime, 
having six defensive backs on the field and not being able to, um, and Ward getting caught inside. Uh, the bottom line is, I think you score. And I don't think you think about it at that point in time. And you pick the ball off and you say to yourself, we have guys who make a lot of money and we're going to plan in our secondary. And our secondary is very good. That shouldn't be the issue. And you hold you hold them for a minute 55. And a lot of people disagree with me, but I don't know. I think that's the least of the worries for the for the Cleveland Browns right now. I think that's not that touchdown had nothing to do with the the, the issues they had, in my opinion. Yeah, that Brees Hall touchdown was pretty egregious. I, I mean, I noticed pretty early in, on that play, they had six DBs on the field and then that was rough. You mentioned that you you've watched that 66 yard touchdown 30 or 40 times. So in your mind, what happened? Well, I think I have a pretty good handle on it now. So they, for some reason, they, you know, I listened to what you guys said in terms of you, you got to talk to talk to those guys and, and what they said and how they said it. And um, award said they were in a cloud two, which it looked like a cloud two. And everybody's in a two look. So the thing that tells me it's a two look is John Johnson on the bottom of the screen. He turns to his cover two kind of concept. Um, those uh, Ward and Emerson are kind of reading the two receivers, um, which is why Ward came up because Conklin released late to that flat over there on the right side. And for some reason, it looks like Delpit is he heard cover three. And um, so he's coming to the middle of the field. So you have Ward who is dropping. Um, and Conklin, who's releasing late, so Ward comes up because Conklin's releasing. The two receiver on the bottom of the screen, he takes a vertical, so Johnson takes him. Emerson stays with his vertical because two went vertical, so he stayed with the number one receiver. And for some reason, um, Elpit just moved to the middle of the field, and it's an easy, easy read for um, for Flacco. And, it, you know, I, my, that, to me, that's a situational awareness because I feel that Ward was correct in what he did, but keep in front. You're up two scores. Right. Keep in front. Rally, tackle Conklin. Keep in front. That's the only way you lose that game was is with a quick score. And so, yeah, every, I think they're, they're in cloud. They're in two, and it looks like Delpit heard three, and because he, he moved to the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, even if it's a 20, 25 yard gain, you get them down in bounds. They still got to run the clock. And it's <laughs> that's exactly right. And you're that's when you talk about like not scoring. That had that had nothing to do with the touchdown job. Like, just keep them in front. Just play play really, really soft sky for cross coverage and, and keep it in front and rally almost that prevent, prevent him, let him nickel and dime you. Um, you know, and then that last drive, they almost went to that and they got nickel and dimed all the way down the field. And then the touchdown, in my opinion, was also an attention to detail thing uh, on the secondary as well. So, um, yeah, I thought that the touchdown was uh, just a complete blown coverage that one. Okay, Lance, great stuff. Uh, of course, make sure you're reading his stuff on uh, cleveland.com slash Browns. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Lance Reisland. All right, so make sure you check him out. Give him a follow on Twitter as well. That's R-E-I-S-L-A-N-D. Uh, you heard from Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley earlier. Uh, I've got to tell you about Football Insider real quick before we go. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get that newsletter uh, delivered to your inbox every day. Those exclusive stories, you can read them if you're a Football Insider subscriber and you can count one of our text subscribers as well. Lance, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me as always.